You're listening to the Common Grace Podcast. Stories of common grace and common people for the common good. Welcome back to season two of Common Grace. Today we talk to Annie Oman. Annie has been training, teaching, and developing leaders and business culture for over 15 years. Annie has passionately developed leaders not only in the corporate world, but in the church as well. And today she talks with us about the power of mutual partnership between men and women in our marriages, in our workplaces, and in our churches. In this conversation, Annie offers practical wisdom for supporting and empowering women to lead in every place and every space. I want to welcome Annie Oman to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Why don't we jump right in? I, I, I'm excited about this topic. Would you just share a little bit of your journey, maybe some of the shaping forces in your leadership journey? Sure. Yeah. When I entered, I will say re-entered the workforce after my babies were older, it was in the area of adult education. So I think that teaching gift with that leadership gift definitely went hand in hand corporately as well. And I started at this software company and I started very low on the totem pole, really in a in a role that was underneath the person that was leading the team. But it quickly became clear that the the, the team was following me under her leadership. So so as I would, as I got my footing in that world, you know, again, I just can't stress enough, you're, you're only a leader if people are wanting to follow you. So I started in this role of adult education within this software company corporately. Yeah, just, it just took on, got a lot of traction with it. I learned a lot in those early years, and I think I developed my gift further in terms of helping people with professional development. So in church, right, you're digging into the scripture, you're using that scripture to coach people, and it really is, you know, you think about all these sort of trendy things in the workforce now in terms of um, coaching and professional development and, yeah, helping people be authentic to who they really are, right, but in the corporate world, man, we've been doing that forever at church. It, we just have called it different things over the years, but it was that same, same gifting that I had. So I started to develop a real coaching gift, a real professional development gift, helping people to realize areas that they were really good at and maximize those, helping people to identify blind spots that they had, mm. that they hadn't considered, and really either work around those, find ways to adjust their behavior to account for those or get them out of roles if those roles weren't weren't a good fit for them and mm. into something better. So yeah, I would say. And then I just I started climbing up pretty quickly in that company and taking on more and more leadership and more and more remit in terms of teams that were in my sphere of influence. And I think that that happened because people recognized the change in the performance of the team. They recognized the change in the happiness of the team. And so they wanted more teams to have that same culture. This is fantastic. And it just sparks a few things. One is I've seen you know some of your gifts in action. I would totally affirm that leadership in the sense that you have an influence on people that like I, I feel like is winsome and people want to follow you. And they know that you genuinely care about them. You have a teaching gift and a a heart for developing people, truly seeing them grow. You have an ability to challenge people in a way that like they don't feel too hurt over. They feel like, oh, 
I, this was honest, but you say it with a smile and a care and, and love toward them that I think people can feel, even if it's even if the blind spot that's being discussed can be tough. The other thing I was going to highlight was just your gift for developing culture. I think a lot of those pieces go toward developing culture. For any of our listeners interested in culture, whether it's their family, their church, their their work world, their business, whatever, would you just talk about like how that gift is kind of unleashed in you or how the, how God uses that in your wow. life? That This is definitely a God thing because I know that you and I hadn't talked about talking about culture today. And it's been something that I have been laser focused on for the last couple of months. And I'll start by saying that my, my original team many years ago used to call me the velvet steamroller because of that ability to, to sort of coach them in ways that could have potentially hurt, but were soft and felt nice, really. <laughs> it's like Mannheim steamroller, except less Christmassy. Exactly. Exactly. So actually, I just finished up last night the sixth of six workshops that I've been delivering across our whole global organization on rebuilding culture. So it's just really interesting that you bring this up now. And so you, your question was around how do you build culture? Is that? Yeah. How does that, how does God do that through you? Like the way you, the way you know it, what you've learned. Yeah, that's really good. So I think that the way God has used me currently goes back to what we talked about before. When you have spent years building trust with people, or even if they're brand new, but you've done the hard yards to build trust with people. And for me, what that means is you are who you say you are and you do what you say you're going to do. And the picture that you paint for people is real, right? What you say they're going to get is what they get. What they see is real, right? And authentic. So when you've built that trust with people, then you've earned the right to speak into the sort of notion of what's working and what's not working. And you can have a real conversation about either building or rebuilding culture. So I think God has used that gift that you so very graciously described in me to make me a culture changer and make me a a culture leader. So I've, I've spent the last several months and certainly the last week really engaging with our corporate teams around the globe on what should that culture, what has it looked like historically here? Where are we falling down on the job and what should it look like in the future? Does that, does that help? Does that help answer the question at all, Jordan? Oh yeah. I I think there's probably some people are like, let's talk about that. Let's talk more about that. Maybe we could put a pin in this culture conversation, maybe do another, uh, another podcast conversation on it. Sure. And I will say, just to give a little shout out, there's a a gentleman by the name of Patrick Lencioni, who is a believer and also a corporate coach. And he has written a book called The Advantage, which is something that we've been really digging into in my company lately. And it's got some six really good questions that give you a framework for building a healthy organization and building a healthy culture. So I'll just, I'll stick a pin in that, but he's a good, he's a good follow-up resource. Wow. That's a great resource. So let me back us up even a little bit more in in your history because some of your answer kind of sparked a little bit in my mind. And I know we're going to, sorry, we're going to get to some of the questions here in a second, but can you look back as a kid, as a little girl and with, you know, your story, you know, in your world, can you see where God was shaping you to be a leader? Maybe unexpectedly, like maybe gifts or situations? 
That's such an interesting question, George, because I, I honestly believe, so I, I became a believer when I was 18 years old. And I really believe when I received the Holy Spirit that God utterly changed my nature, which of course is biblical, right? But I mean, like I, my personality changed and everything. I was very reserved, very shy, very insecure growing up. I had, you know, my history a little bit. I was raised in a, in a home with a lot of brokenness and alcoholism and violence. So there was a lot of insecurity, not just in me personally, but around me and in my home. I think that it's really interesting because I think I also provoked a lot of that unpredictability and violence <laughs> because there was a spark in me that just wouldn't let it go, wouldn't let something be that shouldn't be, wouldn't let unfairness stand. Just to give you an example, my dad used to, um, he wouldn't remember stuff that he had told us. So if I'd gotten permission to go somewhere, I would come back and be in trouble for going there, even though he had told me, but he had blacked it out. So he didn't remember. So then I'd get in trouble. <laughs> so had I just accepted it, had I just succumbed to that sort of insecure, reserved kid, I probably would have been okay in certain circumstances, but I couldn't let it go. I couldn't let, no, you're telling me something that's not true. And this just can't stand, you know? So, <laughs> so in a lot of cases, I think that sort of spark in me that wouldn't let injustice go is the same thing that also caused a lot of challenges in my growing up years. But I think God took that little spark. And when I became a believer, when I gave my life to him, I think he just lit that on fire and he, and he turned that into a healthy direction where, man, if something's broken, I just can't let it go. It's got to get fixed. I can't, I can't just accept it. Uh, that's powerful. Yeah, and the and the Holy Spirit is doesn't just start working our life when we become a Christian. He's working in and around, and He's given us these gifts. But there's an ignition that happens when we like. It's almost like plugging into the Lord in a new way. You know, when yeah. we have faith in Him. But I have a sneaking suspicion that God planted some of those those gifts in you far before you even knew Him. Well, a hundred percent, right? He knit me together in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, even though a lot of that stuff was being maybe pressed down because to your point, I wasn't plugged in to him. I, I hadn't been ignited yet. He knit all that together. So it wasn't that it wasn't there before, but he, yeah, he ignited it. He lit the sparkler. I love it. Well, with that, that framework and a little bit of that snapshot, which is to me, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing a bit of your, your background. Why don't we just jump into a few of these, these questions? I just am so yeah, curious sure. about, really curious to get your take on women in leadership and just how important that is. And so here's a question for you. Why do you think it's so important for churches to have women in leadership, for there to be a mutuality of partnership between men and women in leadership and to have leaders lead based on their gifts? Yeah, I, I love that question so much, George. And I think it's a really simple answer. I mean, simple, but not easy, right? And that is Jesus thought it was important. And his apostles thought it was important too. You know, we see that all through the New Testament. There was no question about women being in leadership in the early church. You know, I, we've invented that as a crisis or as some sort of 
challenge for us to overcome. It wasn't a challenge back then. Women were in Christian leadership back then. So if you look at Romans 15, Paul references all the women that were leaders in the church that he's been working with. It wasn't an issue. So I think it's important for ministry to include women leaders because Jesus thought it was important for ministry to include women leaders. And if you're gifted as a leader, and we've already established that God is the one that gives those gifts, why would he give them if we weren't supposed to use them? Yep. Oh, man, that's well said. Oh, thanks. Well said. I wasn't planning on on adding to this, but you just sparked this thought. I think it's I. Howard Marshall, who's like a he's an evangelical theologian. I think he's like Scottish or English, but he was unpopular for, for holding you know this view that you're talking about this of mutual partnership and in ministry between men and women. And one of the things he noted was he made this connection. You might find interesting, but I believe it was Herod, the leader during Jesus' day and age. Herod's I believe it was his wife or a female relative who is noted for following Jesus. And he makes the point that it's very likely that Jesus' ministry was not only subverting some of the idolatry of power and idolatry of religion of the day through the things that we often pay attention to, but also was was being funded by Herod, almost like unbeen, unknown to him, through his own family members yes. who were women. <laughs> Yes. And Jesus was empowering to lead within his movement. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I think that that viewpoint, as well as just the fact of the matter, seeing the women leaders in the scripture does help. We, we, we do have to acknowledge that men were in positions of power sociologically then. We have to acknowledge that, right? There's, you know, property ownership, you know, wedding protocol, all that kind of stuff. The way the courts were run. Absolutely. Men were totally in positions of power, but that doesn't have anything to do with who Jesus calls. I mean, look at all of this. The last shall be first. And the Sermon on the Mount is filled with all those different dichotomies that call out that Jesus doesn't really care about our secular power structure. That is not how he works. And that is not how he assigns jobs. You know, that's good. Yeah, that's really good. And you see that at the end of the, the Gospels that the, the re- great reversal, the first shall be last. So women who had very little social capital and power are the first to receive the good news, the gospel that, that Jesus is alive, and then they go preach it to these uh, confused males who many of them are hiding behind closed doors in fear. Exactly. And, and let me just add to that. The women who Jesus appears to, they recognize him. They recognize him. What about the men that Jesus appears to on the path? They don't recognize him. They're too confused to even recognize him. So what about that? That's kind of cool too. Do you ever think women like read the, you know, that that Luke story where the the men are walking with Jesus, the road to Emmaus, and and it's taking them forever to to get the point? And women are like, <laughs> yeah. this is so to re- true to life. Yes. <laughs> They're like, welcome to our world, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> one, one other thing, one last thing, it was uh, the woman at the well. You know, there's yeah. this moment where, Jesus has sent his disciples into the, the same village she's from, and they bring back bread. And she goes back to her village, and she brings people. And uh, it's, so, it's so interesting because he, he never corrects her for leading, and she leads her, her whole village to him. Right. He never corrects her. He corrects the men for not leading. Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, her response to his really calling her out was to to use that information 
hey guys, he knew everything there was to know about me. You got to come out here and hear from him, right? I'd be like, oh, I don't think I want to tell people about this. Well, you got to, and then the disciples, you know, the poor, poor guys, they've just got bread in their hands. And then she brings what he really wants. And it takes them a little while to realize it, kind of like the road to Emmaus. It just takes a little bit longer for the, the train to board at the station. Right. And here's the thing. If we're honest with ourselves, men, women, that whole conversation aside, if we're honest with ourselves, we're most of the time the men on the path. And we're most of the time the disciples bringing bread back instead of people and missing the boat, you know, entirely. So I think there's that as well. But yeah, it is a really interesting. I don't think any of those stories are done on accident. And the fact that he's speaking to a woman, not just a woman, but a woman who would have been at the very lowest in terms of sociological power. And he elevates her in terms of her impact. Impact is the key there. She's had a massive impact. Yeah, absolutely. And he's and he provides a, a path of grace for both those who have who have might not be getting it. And he like with grace and vision just helps turn them. And with the same grace, he helps her turn to, to him. So 100 percent. Ah, so good. We could keep talking some of these Bible stories. I love talking with you about this stuff, but I'll move us to the next question, if that's all right. Yeah. Could you just share any maybe challenges you faced leading in the church and um if you have time, maybe you can even contrast that with, you know, leading in the work world or the public square. Sure. Yeah. Actually, you know, it, it's pretty simple, especially currently. Our church here in Raleigh is very similar to Garden City. Authentic group of people who are on fire for the Lord, who are welcoming to the community, who believe in people coming and belonging before they believe, much like Garden City. And they also believe in this mutual partnership as well. We we have women elders in our church. We routinely have women preaching. We certainly have women teaching and leading life groups and all of that sort of thing. And it has, we've had many people leave, you know, come be with the church, walk with us for a while and just not be able to endure that kind of conflict in their own spirit. So, you know, I think really that's the, the simple answer there is the challenges that we face primarily are people um, walking away. Now, I will say, and you know this to be true, that we have both served in churches where when that was brought up as an issue, it was simply decided that it was better to err on the side of women not stepping into leadership. And I think in some ways, avoiding the conflict, I understand the spiritual basis for that as well. But I love the fact that our church here in Raleigh and that Garden City is authentic and, and true to what they believe and what they stand on. And, and it's okay to bless and release people if they are not on that same path. And I believe wholeheartedly that those people love the Lord and are walking closely with the Lord. And we just are hearing things in a different way. Primarily the challenge is that people just walk away from the church. I think in the market as you described it, or in in the corporate world, a lot of companies are really facing this, the the gender pay gap. You know, they have a number of different ways that they're focusing on diversity and, and inclusion. I'm in a company that is probably a little bit behind on that front. (laughs) They, um, they were very male centric. I, I think in, until this year, um, we didn't have any women in senior leadership in, at the top tier of our company and also no women on the board 
of our company for a long, long time. So it was a very male-centered, I know, I know, very male-centered company, also a very male-centered industry um, in terms of forensic investigation and cybersecurity and that sort of thing. So, you know, there we're on the we're in the on the path now of trying to make some really make up some ground really quickly. So we have a new CEO who's wonderful and who is just really he's identified some amazing women leaders that he has brought in and we're, we're tipping the scales in a lot of ways we're really focused now on diversity and inclusion both gender wise um, nationality wise you know a number of different things so we're, we're starting to overcome that how have i experienced it oh my goodness i could, I could tell you some stories do you want me to tell you yeah give story? us give us some examples i think that's helpful whether it's in church or it's uh in the workplace so we were working with a customer that they are, um, they train, so it was the secret service and it was the branch of the secret service that trains state and local agencies. And the reason they do that is you may not know that yes, the secret service is in charge of protecting dignitaries, but they're also in charge of cybercrime federally, but they're a relatively small police force when you think about it. So they, they, they spend some of their resources to train up state and local agencies so that when they have crimes in their locale, they can call on them to help them and they give them all these resources and it's a really cool program. Anyway, so I was working with that customer and the head of the department was a female secret service agent, former military, you know, this is someone who most likely could, you know, kick the, you know what, of anybody in the room, male or female. <laughs> and so, where she and I are chatting and my male counterpart that was there, the salesman that was there with me, and was saying, oh, you guys have such great connection. You should, you should hang out. Annie, you should come back down here and have a ladies night. And you, know, you, you both could get a kitchen pass and go out and have some fun. <laughs> and honestly, there was dead, just much like this, there was dead silence. And I looked at her and I said, did he say? what I think he just said. And she said, yeah, he sure did. <laughs> Let's not talk about it. <laughs> but then that was not that many years ago. So, a kitchen pass? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> just yes, I'll ask my husband right now if he would mind if I came down here on another corporate trip to do my job. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, wow. you'll be glad to know he is no longer with our company. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the, 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 those are some blind spots, huh? A little bit, a little bit. You know, it's not usually quite like that at my company, but there's a lot of, a lot of testosterone in that group. And it would be easy to, to be so blind to that, that you don't even notice from a male perspective when you're oh, kind yes. of, when you're kind of our, uh, participating in or fanning into flame tropes and, and things like yeah. that. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's routine for someone to join a meeting. If they are the first man to join the meeting and there's other women there to say, Hey gals, mm. Hey girls, Hey gals, that kind of thing. Yeah. Happens all the time. So even just stuff like that, you know, you think, Hmm, hmm we have some work to do. <laughs> How any, any church world barriers that you like examples of barriers you've hit or is that, have, that have hit you? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's, it just, it just doesn't happen. We, we, we've drawn such a line in the sand at our current church. And honestly, the churches that we were in before 
weren't really willing to even take that on. So I don't think it would have been something that would have even been an issue because there was no, there was, there wasn't really an inroad for it. It's not like I ever said, Hey, I'd like to put my hat in the ring for elder. I mean, I think, you know, some of the struggles at one of our previous churches of becoming an elder, even if you were a white man. You know? <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that hits me is how, how does this take place in, in, in marriage, this perspective of mutual partnership? Because some people, if you're a listener and you, you don't come from maybe church world, this is somewhat cultural. It's, I don't think it's just related to church, but like churches sometimes have put real theological language on it. One view is like there needs to be male headship in the home. Um, and so like the the male is seen as the leader and basically the decision maker. All decisions need to be run through through that filter. You know, people like you've said are very caring, loving. They just read the scriptures and maybe practice scripture a little, a little differently than than I would see it or how my marriage would, would function. Could you contrast that with maybe a mutual partnership? Like what is that in your mind? How does that play out in your marriage? And what are you work toward as an ideal from this perspective? Yeah, I love that question. You know, Craig and I in our marriage have always seen ourselves as a team, that there's a mutual need for one another, that we each bring something to the team that is very different. And sometimes that changes. Sometimes the thing that I bring, the whether it's leadership, whether it's, you know, a strong leaning from the Holy Spirit that we should do things in a certain way, or whether it's him having that strong leaning or that strong leadership in that area. So we definitely have always approached our decision-making in that sort of team spirit. I don't think even, you know, we've been married 30 years, even in the early days of our marriage, there was never a sense of Craig saying, I'm in charge here, right? Like A, that's just not in his nature. And B, we've just always felt like, man, it's you and me against the world. And we've always felt like it was us together as a team that could face it. And I will say, culturally, the thing that probably would make us kind of traditional is that we're just so committed to two parents in the home. So, you know, you talked about it as like headship in the home. For us, the most important thing is our kids having two really engaged parents in the home. And the secret to the health of our family is around that sense of we're in this together mom and dad are together in this and we are committed to seeing it through. When it comes to, you know, I, I sort of alluded to this, but there have been, Craig and I have had have a habit, a cadence of sort of reassessing. So whenever there's some sort of change, uh, for example, me going back into the workforce, or for example, Craig starting his PhD or us moving, whatever the change is, it's an opportunity to renegotiate. What does life look like? Who does what? How does that work? It's dynamic, not like static. Right. Absolutely. And it has nothing to do with who's most important or with who is the final say on stuff. Sometimes Craig is the final say on stuff. And sometimes I'm the final say on stuff. And it just really is situational in terms of who's got the expertise on it who cares more about it, right? Sometimes I, I like to joke, there was one time where I was really leaning into something with Craig and he said, what do I need to say for this conversation to be over? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so basically yes. he was saying, yes is the word. What, 
whatever you want. <laughs> I don't care. You know? like, and, and there are times when that shoe is on the other foot and I'm saying, man, you care about this and you know about it. So I, I yield whatever you decide. I'm totally happy to do, but it has nothing to do with gender. It has to do with understanding that we're a team and we're bringing different gifts and different things we care about to the table. Oh, that's huge. I was that was what was sparking in my mind the way Sarah and I, my my wife Sarah, were trying to get better at like aligning gifts around like decision making, and that's always yeah. been a. And sometimes, like you said, who cares most about something if you really feel a burden about something? But you know, if someone's really really good at finances, but they're not male or, or something, you know, do you really want to say, <laughs> you know, that, that you don't want them to have some leadership? <laughs> And so I think it's important, as I was listening to you, some things that we've been learning. It's really, you know, respecting each other's gifts, serving each other, that it's a servant leadership model, that we yes. are mutually serving each other, serving our family. As a, that, that's the team concept. I just think it's, uh, I think it's a misnomer to think that because uh, you let a female lead, then that's somehow undercutting a male's ability to lead. Like, do we have to lead at each other's expense, you know, when it comes to gender, when it comes to personality? When it No, I think in my experience, you can, you can lead without it being at the expense of, an, of another person. Absolutely. And it's not a zero-sum game either, you know? And I love that you called out the, the term serving because I'll tell you, I always feel like Craig is dedicated to serving me and to serving our family. Even if he's in the position of making a decision, you know, being the final word on some decision, he is a humble, humble leader in that way. And I hope and pray that he sees that as well. That if it's me saying, man, this is what we must do right now, he sees that as coming out, coming from a place of serving the family and serving the best needs of the family as best as I know how. So yeah. I love that. Yeah. Oh, it's good. I will say that I have always been grateful. And this is probably the thing I love the most about Craig, that I have a husband who I respect so deeply. Mm. I think that there is something so key to that, to having a high level of respect for your husband and say what you will about the whole, his needs, her needs, where the sort of the love and respect, or, you know, that women need love and men need respect. I don't know about any of that, but I do know that I love that I have a man who I respect so deeply as someone who can always count on to be a compass for the things of the Lord. Yeah, that's good. Hearing you talk about that, that, that that's mutuality, that's mutual partnership and having a sense of honor and respect for the person sense of affection as well. Like it's, that's a two-way street and um, that's a team. And I wish, I wish when we talk about leadership, especially when Christians talk about it, it's so easy to stray from the basic definition of servant or steward that we're serving others and we're considering others as better than ourselves is how Paul would put it. And uh, rather than being born a certain gender, giving you the gift of decision-making Right. In every situation, it's like, no, like leadership is serving. I just think a lot of the the division over the stuff within churches can be erased if we started there. I just think that's really, really important. And, you know, even in the corporate world, I think that your employees, if they don't see that your senior leaders are laying down their lives for them, then they then they are not seen as powerful or authentic leaders. You know, if they are just claiming I'm in charge here, I'm going to make the decisions here. And there's that 
sort of authoritarian approach to it, that, that never works for a healthy culture. That servant leadership where they see you're willing to do the things that you're asking them to do, be the people that you're asking them to be, that's the leader that they'll follow. And then they'll follow you all the way. How do you deal with it when, you, when you're working with uh, a male who's resistant to your leadership? It depends on which kind of leadership it is. I think if I'm managing the person and they're resisting leadership, that's different. Right. There are there are mechanisms in place where you can dig into that in a way that they can't ignore. If it's leadership by influence, it's always been my way to lay the cards on the table, like really clearly. I would say something to the effect of there's something standing in the way of us moving forward on this project. And I'm really interested, honestly interested in knowing what the challenges are. So can you see any reason why we shouldn't be able to work on this project together? Because I'm sensing by the way you've said this or ignored this email or not done the thing that you told me you were gonna do, I'm sensing that there's something that is causing you some resistance in this project. So that's been my way thus far is to just put all the cards on the table and call it out because then usually what happens is they have to either double down on it or make up some crazy reason why they've been resistant and then stop being resistant, right? Oh, I've had a lot on my mind. Oh, I've, you know, I've been really busy with X and such. And, and then they stop behaving in the way they were behaving, or they just really double down on it. And I've actually had both things happen. So I say, put your cards on the table. That's, that's been the best. Oh, that's so good. Here's another question. Garden City, one of the ways we look at this, and I'm curious to see if you would approach it similarly or different when we look at like traditional maybe marriages, like where maybe there's more of a traditional approach to like the male female partnership, you know, the decision making, the, the 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 home decisions and that kind of stuff, maybe there's a more traditional view and interpretation of scripture, or you have more of the mutual partnership quality emphasis in an, in another couple. For us, we've we've said like, hey. There's room for both. We don't have to divide necessarily over that issue. Our church is going to have a center that we're headed toward, and the center is going to be mutual partnership, equality between men and women, and total inclusion of of women in leadership based on gifting, not gender. That's our center, but we're going to have people that might come from different perspectives, but we can be in the same church together as long as it's not like abusive, harmful you know, the, their approaches to uh, an alternate way of, of looking at decision-making, whether it's a marriage or within a friend groups and stuff like that. We can hold that tension. And to us, it's not a divide over issue, like, and we can respect that as long as uh, there is service at the heart. Absolutely. And George, I love that you're bringing that up because there's a book, and it's not a Christian book, but it absolutely resonates with a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. Actually, I think the author is Jewish. It's called The Good Marriage. And the book talks about four different models of marriage relationship. And all four of them are good, healthy marriages. And they are wildly different in terms of, you know, there is a traditional one that is, you know, definitely, you know, man making the decisions like what we've discussed. But there's a wide array of different types of marriage relationships. And the book outlines the fact that it is not, it's not about one being the right way. It's about you and your spouse finding the right model that fits your giftings and fits your personality and helps you to build a good marriage together. 
So the goal is the good marriage. The goal isn't what type of marriage it is. The goal is the good marriage. Find the one, the partnership that helps you build that good marriage. And it doesn't matter if it doesn't look like your friends. You know, I think that that's been something that has, that Craig and I have learned and relearned and relearned um, over the years. And when we first moved here and started meeting friends and stuff, I was the only one that I knew of our, of anyone that we met that worked outside of the home. So it was very different and it was very, I don't know, I was, I was old enough to be relatively secure in the way that I thought and, and in the plans that Craig and I had made, but it was hard and to not have others that were like me in that way. But you get the opportunity to learn and relearn and relearn. No, we've chosen the way that works for us. This is how we do it in our, in the omen marriage, because this is what is good for us. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, like the marriage you guys have built together, I think really reflects that, that love of Jesus, that servant oriented love of Jesus. And that's so good. There's different, there's different models, even biblically, and there's different people. Everybody has different personalities. And I have, I have family members where the more traditional leadership will, will be embodied in the female. And so they're, the way they do their marriage is, is a little bit different than the traditional marriage, but they give respect to people who are, who are built differently than the other marriages that are built differently than them. Than them. I just really appreciate that. So thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we have friends, dear friends who have a very traditional marriage in some ways. And here's the thing, you see someone from the outside and you think, oh, she stays home and he works outside of the home. So they must have a traditional marriage. That might not be the case at all. It's never that simple. No, just because, just because there are, they fit some, they tick some boxes doesn't mean they tick others. You know, in that household, she is the authoritative Bible teacher in that household, you know, and it's because of the, it's because it's her gifting to do it. It's because it's her passion to do it. So just because you're looking in from the outside, you don't know the story. You don't know. You know, my grandparents, my grandpa had a gift for leadership, but so did my grandma. She was a teacher. He was really good at like spiritual formation. He was just like the, he was like the disciple whisperer. He's just so good. Oh, so good. One of the best people I've ever known. Ah, wonderful. And they both like, there wasn't animosity because they both had leadership gifts. <laughs> there was appreciation. So if, if we have an yeah. appreciative eye for our spouses and 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 within the church, if you expand that beyond just the marriage relationship, but an, an appreciative eye for different gifts within the church, regardless of gender, I just think it's, man, then we can really mutually learn from one another and serve each other with those gifts. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. How do you encourage women to lead and if they hit barriers in leadership and expressing their their gifts of leadership how do you encourage them to to keep going yeah so i'll tell you that this is hard for me <laughs> this is not an area of my best gifts and it's something that i noticed as a blind spot gosh probably about a year ago which seems like wow you were really slow to recognize that as a blind spot but I think there's a, a selfish bit in me that is so busy fighting my own battles that I haven't looked too far outside of myself to encourage others. But we we hit a crisis at, at our work. So it sort of put me in a position of needing to mentor some women and take on some of those types of relationships. And it, it helped me to see a lot of times for women, and I'll say this for myself as well, you think if I spend too much time rallying around other women, I'm going to lose ground 
in the fight that I'm fighting to gain ground on my, from myself, right? And I know that you're probably thinking, wow, that sounds so selfish, but it is, um, it is a phenomenon that happens in women. It's been written about, it's been studied that sometimes it's hard for us to go shoulder to shoulder and help another woman because we're so afraid of losing that ground. So I started, gosh, was it a year ago? Maybe two years ago now, I started systematically trying to mentor women. So I have two women that I'm still mentoring now. And I've, it, there's been four over the course of the last couple of years, spending that time, intentional time, hearing what they're up against. Sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with gender. Sometimes it's just a matter of struggles to make a case for something in their world, in their role, whatever. So intentional time spent with them to work through certain issues that they're having. That's been the way that I've been focusing my time now, ever since I sort of recognized that sort of deep pit of a blind spot that I had. And it's been really rewarding. One of the women that I work with is really young and she's relatively new in her career. So it's been really fun to dig back into the recesses of my memory and also you know, materials that I have to help her through some stuff that, you know, that I figured out a long time ago, but that is revolutionary to her, right? <laughs> so that's been really fun. And then I have someone who is around the same age as me, has been at it a long time, and she and I have more of a wrestling through stuff together. So with the one, there's a lot of leadership that I can provide, a lot of teaching that I can provide. With the other, it's much more a mutual bouncing ideas off each other. And, oh, I had a similar situation to that and I tried this, could that work in your environment? So really the way I'm trying to encourage women is by just going shoulder to shoulder with them and being in the fight with them. And that's been something that has been has not come naturally to me. Even though people think I'm so encouraging and nice, George, it doesn't necessarily come naturally to me. So let the record show. <laughs> oh man, I, I, this is good. This is good wisdom. How would you encourage any of our listeners if they wanted to be part of supporting women in leadership and women in their lives that they see maybe have gifts? Yeah, I, I like that question a lot. I think that so much of it, and it's been really encouraging to see the advocacy that we've seen from men in our workplace as well, to see people come forward and help help me. How do I help you? Help me, you know, teach me, tell me what, what I'm missing. It's been really neat to see that kind of openness. Um, and I think that that's even just the first step is being interested in learning about it. So if you are a listener and you are a man and you wanna support women in leadership, the first step is that desire and that openness to it. And, and I think the second step then is being on the lookout. Craig talks a lot about perception, right? We talked earlier, a while ago now, about the men on that path not recognizing Jesus. And it was, it was really about perception. They didn't have the right lens to look through their situation and see Jesus. So as a man who doesn't have to think about those things, they have to put on a new lens. They have to consciously choose to see the world and see situations through a different lens. So put on that lens that helps you to see opportunities, to see areas where you could be, huh, I wonder if there's any women I know that would be good at this. I have this opportunity. I wonder, my natural inclination is to think about those closest to me, right? And then we could talk about the, you know, who's my neighbor story, but maybe I'm going to 
put myself in a situation where I'm closer to people that I wouldn't normally be closer to and give them an opportunity and serve them and help them. So yeah, I think it's about putting on that lens, looking for opportunities, looking for women that have that gift and then elevating them, maximizing that. I was talking to a woman colleague this morning and I told her, I said, I'm hearing your name in bigger conversations now. And that's really cool. Like this has been a long time coming. You've been doing the hard yards. You've been um, doing this incredible work that very few people are recognizing. And now that's a good indication. I'm hearing your name in these conversations. People are saying, oh, talk to so-and-so. That's a good sign, right? So elevate those women that you know, talk about them. If there's a conversation where they're saying, who, I wonder who would know about this. I wonder who could take this on. Bring up those women that you know, bring up their gifts that you've seen them exercise. How would you encourage those women who are slogging away and working so hard and it's just been really challenging in the workplace, whether it's, you know, just in relationships, how would you encourage them? Well, the fact of the matter is, whether you're a man or a woman, you're going to go through a lot of seasons in your life where you are slogging away at things and not seeming to make any progress. And I was on a panel recently at church where they had business leaders. It wasn't gender-based, so I was up there with a bunch of men. And the thing that I called out was the angel told Mary, he greeted her as the favored one, right? He told her she was favored by the Lord. She had the Lord's favor. And I'm just wondering if anybody could anticipate how much favor she was feeling in that year after God told her she was a favored one, right? Just because God is pushing us towards something, is, is egging us on to do the hard work to get to a goal, doesn't mean it's going to be accomplished in his, in my time frame, in your time frame. A little bit of time or a lot of time to us is a little bit of time to him, right? So we're all going to go through seasons where we're slogging away at something, feeling like it's never going to change. And what I will say is don't quit. Don't quit. Keep on working. Because you don't know if you're on the verge of a breakthrough. You don't know. And you won't ever know if you give up that fight. So keep pushing. Keep doing the next right thing. Keep looking for the next right opportunity because you could you could be on the verge of breakthrough and you could be you could be the catalyst for for more breakthrough in your community, in your workplace, in your church. So just keep at it. Who've been inspirations to you on your journey as a leader who is a woman? Yeah, I would say, you know, Craig and I have always surrounded ourselves by mentor couples that have been really impactful for us. And, and we had a pastor, he had been a pastor of the church that we, in the town where we grew up, but he had since gone on to take on leadership in the seminary. And we lived close to them in Portland, Oregon, when we lived there, Clint and Andrea Ashley. Interestingly, Clint just passed away. His funeral was last weekend. So he is dancing at the feet of Jesus right now in total victory. God bless him. But um, his wife, Andrea, was a I don't know if we can say this on this podcast, but she was a ball buster of a pastor's wife. Like she did not fit the mold. She was so far ahead of her time. She was, she was equal parts terrifying and just powerful on the Lord, you know, and God was using her in mighty, mighty ways. <laughs> she was fighting these battles before we ever even thought about fighting these battles. Like we don't know anything about these battles. Andrea knows it all, right? 
and she, they had been on the mission field and they had been, you know, her husband was a pastor and then he was, took on this seminary leadership. And she was someone who was utterly committed to operating in her gifts. No matter, she just did not care what people thought, you know, and she was a mighty evangelist. She was leading people to the Lord hand over fist. Like I said, she was kind of terrifying because she didn't, she didn't take any nonsense from anybody. So if you came to her with some kind of lame excuse, that was never going to fly. She was such a great coach for me in those early years as a pastor's wife. She did not put up with any whining. She did not put up with any quitting. You know, she did not put up with any excuses about what I thought I could or couldn't do. Did God tell you to do it? Do you feel like you have the ability to do it? Get in there and do it then. There were no excuses. So I would say, hands down, she was number one, the biggest influence in my early adulthood. Honestly, over the last 30 years, I have always found someone that I could, that was just a little bit ahead of me. We call it discipleship now, right? I don't know that I called it that. I just always needed someone in my life that could push me to the next level. And so I've always had someone. I've got a friend now, Brenda. I remember early in our sort of discipleship relationship, mentoring, whatever you want to call it. I said to her, oh, I just don't know if I can do anymore. You know, it's real whiny. And she said, well, you can. (laughs) And she said, if God's calling you to it, you can. Yeah. It doesn't really have anything to do with how you feel about whether or not you can do it. Come on, man. um, But but to me, I've always looked for people like that. I don't want someone that's going to tell me what I want to hear. I want someone that's going to challenge me, that's going to refine my thinking. Again, back to Craig. That's what I've always loved about him. He is not ever going to tell me what I want to hear. He is always going to challenge what I'm thinking. He will never let me take the easy road. He will always come to me with being the bigger person, doing the harder thing, facing the truth more authentically. And that's what I want. Mm, That's so good. So I guess that would be a good encouragement to him, right? Find someone who's just a little bit farther ahead of you. Find someone who won't tell you the easy answer. Follow that person. Get with that person. That's so good. Annie, I want to thank you for joining us on the podcast today. It's been a real joy. Thank you so much, George. It's been a joy for me too. You know how much I love you guys and want to be a part of your ministry in any way that I can. You've been listening to Common Grace, a Garden City podcast. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, please email us at info at gardencitynw.com. If you want to support the podcast, please rate and review it or share it with your friends. And if you'd like to contribute to what Garden City is doing with this podcast, you can give at gardencitynw.com give. Thanks for listening. 